Hello and welcome back to episode eight of the Punting Dot Fantasy Podcast. Hope you all had a very nice Christmas and are looking forward to the new year. I'm once again the trio back together, Tom and Mitch. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Very good. What's happening? I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, no, I'm just happy the three of us finally back together in a Zoom call, Weddo. Um, going good. Rats not so good at the moment, but we'll move on. Beautiful. All right. So similar look to the last uh, few podcasts, we'll uh, we'll kick off with chatting through a bit of NBA, roll into the Ashes, um, and we're going to actually introduce a new segment tonight called the Rats Random Thoughts. So Mitch is going to come up with a few interesting topics or interesting thoughts and, and pose it to Tom and I, which we'll, which we'll break down. So that should be a little bit exciting. Um, and then finish off with a weekly review of the tips from last Saturday from all the boys. Um, unfortunately, we won't have any selections because we're currently recording on Tuesday night, so it's well and truly a little bit early into the week, but make sure you keep an eye out on the punting.fantasy Instagram page for all those selections this weekend. All right, into the NBA. Kicking off, we're going to discuss uh, the, the bubble around COVID um, as we as it seems to be pretty consistent through through the podcast as well as through it's just day to day life. Um, it's a it's a revolving door the issue, um, but we just want to chat through and I'll, I'll throw to you, Tom, around um, how COVID's running right over the NBA. Um, also, potential changes to to what the protocols look like. Um, but yeah, can you can you break that down for us? Yeah, so. Same as last week, we had a, had a change today just before we got on here. So they've looked at um, revisiting the length of time the players have to spend in quarantine. Um, so it's, it's been reduced now to six days for, for um, vaccinated players who are asymptomatic and uh, can you know, prove they're not going to have COVID in their system, which is down from 10. Um, other than that, everything else uh, still the same as we discussed last week. Got to sign, go sign a player after two going to protocols and then an extra player for every further player that goes into the into the protocols from each team. Um, probably a bit of a better situation this week than it was this time last week. A few more big names have returned. Um, obviously still plenty of guys in the protocols um, and lots of lots of fresh faces around the NBA, but looks like the league's um, trying to get on top of it. Yeah, well, they certainly weren't looking after Bowman's boys. Unfortunately, the lads have, uh, have nine boy, boys in the protocols, and unfortunately the lads have been a bit of a sob story in the last couple of weeks. But... Um, Certainly got a, a right to lose some games when uh, neither of the blokes are inactive. Um, moving forward, NBA, a little bit more exciting stuff. We're gonna we're gonna have our two NBA experts here, Mitch and Tom, break down um, and introduce some three hot takes and hot topics that they're gonna have a little bit of a debate around, depending on whether they agree it or not, um, and provide a little bit of discussion on that. So, Tom, if you want to kick us off, are you guys gonna go one for one, or are you just gonna go all three out at once and then um, swap over? We'll go, we'll go one for one. It's three each, just to make sure that the viewer understands that. Did you want to go first, Tom, or do you want... I'll go first. Yeah, I'll go first. I think we're going to be pretty um, much in agreement on this first one. I've got the Lakers are not a title contender, and the best case scenario is that they finish in the playoff race. Uh, the play-in race, rather. Yeah, wow. I've got that there's zero chance of winning a title. Um, I... It's not that hot of a take at the moment, but you look at the odds. They're still fifth in the odds. And you look at two teams behind them in Utah and Miami should be streets ahead of them to win the championship over this mob of pretenders. <laughs> um, granted, like, I understand any team with Anthony Davis and LeBron are going to be pretty hard to just discount entirely. But this Russell Westbrook thing is just terrible. I don't think there's any other way to explain it. And I'm sure that's the same reason why... You're taking your hot take as well, Tom. Yeah, um, I think Christmas Day, for those who watched, was a really, really good example of why this team uh, is not going to win it all this year and it's not even going to get close. Um, Westbrook, I think, finished the game as a minus 23. Um, they, were down, they were down huge going into the fourth quarter. I believe it was 22 or 24. Westbrook hit the bench. So LeBron took the, uh, the Lakers bench on a massive run. They came all the way back. Westbrook came back into the game, and the Lakers lost by six or seven in the end. Um, yeah, the fit is terrible. We've discussed it over and over on this podcast, and um, I know people who are interested in basketball probably listen to plenty of other podcasts. And it's, it's been a pretty uh, 
well publicized topic that the fit is horrendous um westbrook's play is, is horrendous um i think he's reached the point now where he's he's practically untradeable we've seen him get moved like he was untradeable when he signed the deal like you know that's what that's what's been floated around but we saw him get moved for john wall um and for chris paul two other contracts that were thought to be to be untradeable I think Westbrook is now on the John Wall level where, yeah, he is he is untradeable because the play is just not anywhere near where it needs to be for the amount of money that he's making. Um, so I think they're stuck with him. Um, and the roster, yeah, it's not he's not the only one that's that's not playing well. There's a bunch of them. Obviously, no Davis at the moment and for the foreseeable future. Um, and when he's been there, they, they still haven't looked all that good. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, there's we've seen LeBron do some some pretty amazing things, but he is 39, um, and we've seen him look a bit more human in the last few years. And I think this this task is just a bit too tall for him. You touched on it really quick there, Tom, with uh, with Davis missing games. There obviously hasn't been a lot of time with Russ um, and LeBron in that side without uh, without AD probably until the last last few games. Um, do you think that's that, that team all of a sudden becomes even weaker um, when it's simply just LeBron and, and Russ rather than not only just having that um, AD uh, involvement, but I think they saw early on that Russ and, and AD could actually find a way to work with each other. What do you take of that? Yeah, I, I think that's probably a bit of the case. Russ has always been a pretty dynamic player in the pick and roll, and obviously like we know how athletic he is. Um, the the mid-range shot has left him a bit in... Uh, in recent years, he's really struggled in the mid-range for, for a few seasons now. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, he did show, like, as always, as he always does, he did show sort of a real ability to be, sort of build a nice pick-and-roll partnership with Davis, but they've both been in and out of the lineup, and it's been hard for them to, to gather any kind of continuity, especially with the, the roster continually changing around them um, and, the, and the guys that are playing. So I still think, like, as we talked about it already, I think I think Vogel is still looking for his best lineup. Um He's not going to find it while Davis is, is not playing. So, yeah, the fit, it's just all funky. Um, and I don't really see how, yeah, as, as we've said, I don't really see how you fix it. Like, they just, there's not enough shooting. Um, Westbrook is shooting the ball at career-worst levels, which he's been shooting it badly for a number of years now. So when it's career-worst, you know that it's it's um it's about as bad as it gets. So I don't know what the, the next step is for the Lakers. It's a really really ugly situation at the moment and they're not playing well and I don't think they will they will turn it around at any point in the near future I think where you see Davis's loss Sam is on the defensive end they traded away a lot of defensive minded guys not the Kuzma was necessarily a defensive minded guy but you know guys who were willing to who they that you know they weren't Russell Westbrook who you know he thinks that he's this unreal NBA superstar still and that he doesn't have to put in on that end. Whereas guys like KCP and Montrez Harrell and Kuzma, if they don't play defense, they're not in the league any longer. So they traded those guys who are willing to put their head down and their ass up on the defensive end for this, this guy who he'll get his steals, but that's because he gambles on every possession and nine times out of 10, it fails. And if he doesn't have the brow behind him to, mop up all the messes it can get really ugly and it has been since ad left yeah it's a really good point um well well broken down so mitch that was obviously one of your hot takes or, or very similar will, will we throw back to mitt that uh, tom or you got another one for us i'm happy to go into my second one yeah i, on. I already know this is going to turn some heads but my second hot take is that ben simmons has somehow become the most underrated player in the league Disagree. <laughs> For so, hear me out. So Ben Simmons, this so this season would have been his season when he's twenty five years old. So last season he was twenty four, made three All Star teams in a row, made the last two defensive all defensive teams I believe, was was top well come second in the Defensive Player of the Year race, and. No one wants him. Like, I just don't understand why a team, like, don't get offended, Tom, why a team that's going nowhere, like the Blazers, like the Kings, like, just throw, who cares what you have to get? He's a 25-year-old. If he if he didn't have this debacle and his reputation took a hit, he's making eight-plus all-star games in his career, and he's probably making ten all-defensive teams. Grant, Like, granted, he stays healthy. 
Like, I, I don't get it. And he'd probably make All-NBA because once you get him out of that situation in Philadelphia where there's another guy in the paint, if you can find a good fit for him, he's going to be – he's going to do a lot of good things for an offense whilst he is flawed on that end. And I understand that the things that he is flawed at are very important in how the game works today. But he's an – I'd say he's a nearly an elite playmaker or passer. He's, a, he's massive as well. So he's an oversized guard, rebounds well. And he just locks up everything on the perimeter. I don't understand why someone who apparently has all the time in the world, like the Blazers or, I don't know, the Kings are just shit. The Blazers actually have a superstar there who's ageing. So they're actually on a timeline. And so the, and so are Philly. I don't understand why Philly aren't pushing for it as well because you don't want to waste another Embiid year. But I know, I'm going to throw over to Tom because this will probably take some discussing. Um, your point on the Philly thing, I think they value him somewhere. Obviously, given the, the price that they're asking for from any possible suitors, they value him somewhere, you know, where you're talking pretty highly by the sounds of it, um, you know. So they're not willing to settle for anything less. But my rebuttals to your points, essentially, um, the, the price is too high. Like, if I'm, you know, Joe Cronin, you know, if I'm working in the Kings front office, I'm not willing to, to give up two to three young players and, you know, two to three draft picks, especially if I'm the Blazers, given that they the, the cupboard in terms of draft picks is already extremely thin due to, to moves that, that Neil O'Shea made um, in, in the like the previous few off-seasons. So I'm not willing to, to give up all of that for a 25-year-old. He's 25. Like, at this point, he's been in the league six years. I think he... He somewhat is what he is. Like there's obviously always still room for improvement. Perennial All Star and All Defensive player. I, like, yeah. I, um, what have what have what have the Blazers got to lose? What have the Kings got to lose? I'm talking more about the the job. Like it's it's the kind of move. Like I think he to your point, he needs to be in the perfect situation to be properly effective because of the way he is flawed. Like if you look at the way basketball is played today, it's a primitive. Like we all know, it's a primitive based game. You know. The three ball is so important. And yes, he's dynamic on the on the defensive end. He can really shift things there. But the situation needs to be perfect for him on the offensive end for him to be dynamic. Like his passing is yes, his passing is is very good. He's but it's he's best in in transition. You put him on a team like the Blazers where they don't they don't defend very well at all. You know, he's not going to suddenly turn them into a defensive powerhouse. His, tra- his effectiveness in transition gets negated by the fact that he doesn't get to play in transition as much because the Blazers aren't as good on the defensive end. To be his most effective playing with someone like Damian Lillard, he's got to play power forward or centre. If Ben Simmons is your centre, one, your defence is, is not going to be great because you're going to get pounded on the glass, um, you know, which is, is one of the biggest indicators as to, to why a defence would be good. On the offensive end... Same thing. You're going to struggle on the offensive glass. Um, he generally prends, defends perimeter players much better than he does bigs. And and yeah, I just don't. I don't love the fit on offense. I think you've got a guy, another guy like Demarcus Sabonis out there who's available, who fits much better and he's much bigger and can play the five. Um, so I think the fit needs to be perfect for Simmons. So to your point, I understand. Yes, like he is, has become somewhat underrated, but this is a 25 year old guy who's earning max money. Um, already. So I think, you know, his contract values him at, at what he brings to the table. Um, and I just think the factors that have kind of combined in, like, these factors obviously being the fact that he is being sold for an extremely high price and the way we've seen him play in the playoffs the last few years have deemed, you know, it needs to be perfect for him to sort of to be um, at his most effective. I think those kind of factors have culminated into this situation where now it seems like, yes, maybe teams are undervaluing undervaluing him to an extent. Yeah, no, you probably get the nail on the head there. I just think it's appalling the way that um, he's gone about it, especially early doors when he when he literally just pack up, packed up and left. Um, so certainly a damaging, or damaging to the reputation of, of Ben Simmons, but we'd love to see him get back out on the floor, that's for sure. Um, all right, Tom, your next one. Um, so a team we've discussed a fair bit on the pod, the Cavs will finish with home court advantage in the Eastern Conference this season. Oh well, you know, you already know that I love them. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh yeah. Let me just quickly get the standings up. I'm stalling, but uh, yeah, they're currently uh, fifth. 
20 and 13 in the uh, in the East. They're a game back, or half a game back, sorry, of the Heat, who are 21 and 13. Yeah. I don't know. I think when push comes to shove, those top four, or definitely the three of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Miami, um, they'll put the foot to the floor when push comes to shove. Um, whether the Cavs can go with them or whether the Cavs can, whether the Bulls slowly start to decline because they're a new squad with a little bit less continuity. I, I don't know. It'd be touch and go though. I don't mind the I don't mind the take. And you already know how much I love the boys on the on the Cavs. So I I, I love it. I'll, I'll give you my reasons. Um, the first one is strength of schedule. So to date, the Cavs have had the hardest schedule in the league. Um, and the fact that they're 20 and 13 is ridiculous. Um, so obviously, they have the easiest remaining strength of schedule out of the whole in the whole league. Um, when you look at the teams above them, Miami uh, 13th, Brooklyn 12th, um, and then Milwaukee have the hardest schedule remaining um, in the NBA. Um, then you look at the teams below them, Philly 25th, um, and then you've got your other playing kind of level teams. I don't think they're going to get too many challenges from sort of the rest of the teams below there. Um, so obviously the schedule is massively in their favour. Um, you look at the guys that have missed games, they've had they've been smashed by COVID in the last few weeks. Um, they're going to get a bunch of blokes back here in the next probably three to, four, three to five days. Um, and I think at full strength, as we've discussed plenty of times on the podcast, they are a really, really good team. And they've shown an ability to grind out wins on the defensive end, which is something... Um, that is a really important kind of stepping stone for, for, for young teams. So, yeah, I've been super impressed with them, as people who listen to the podcast regularly would know. Um, and I think there's, you know, with the way we've seen things go with the COVID protocols and whatnot, you never know teams, you know, lose a few guys for a few weeks and all of a sudden they drop five or six games. Um, and, you know, anything can happen. So, yeah, I think it's all in their favour um, and it's all in their own hands, I guess, going forward. Yeah, well, we all know that um, Mobley's already racked up the Defensive Player of the Year award, so um, I'm sure the Cavs will get a red-hot shake towards the end of the year. Um, Mitch, your third. Um, my third one is that the Grizzlies are ready to win now and they should package young talent to make a move to contend. Um, now, this is just complete dribble because I've got no moves for you that they could make. But when I look at their roster, I think someone like... So, obviously, you want to keep Triple J and Jar together and probably Desmond Bain with how he's... Says, yeah. Desmond Bain is in that group for sure. So, that leaves... They've got a lot of... They've just got a lot of really good players on their on their roster. And I think it's almost at the point where they've got too many good guys that they've actually got some pretty good assets, you know, playing 10 minutes a night. And I look at someone like Brendan Clark, who I think would offer a lot to... Like, I think he would be an asset. And I would probably try and package him with someone like Dylan Brooks and try and get that for a third star. Because um, they sit right now, obviously, they Jar missed a chunk of time there and they're sitting in the fourth seed right now and there's a considerable drop-off to the fifth seed. So they're just good. And I think, why wait? Jar, Jar's not going to get any worse. I don't think Triple J is going to get any worse. And Jar, I think Jar's already proved that he's up to it as well. That's the other part of it. He doesn't look like he shirks the moment or anything. So I think they should just they should go for it, I reckon. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, definitely not one that I'd thought about. But, yeah, no, they obviously made a move in the offseason to, to get off of JV um, and go younger, which kind of was, almost looked like they were – trying to sort of stall this process a little bit. Um, but, yeah, obviously, as Mitch said, 21 and 14 now this year, I think they are. Um, and Jar's the kind of player who I think he's going to develop really into one of those guys who, if he's on your team, your team's never bad. Um, yeah, I think he's he's really ascending into that top tier of um, point guard um, in, the, in the league. But, yeah, no, they've got a lot of young guys who are really talented um, and they've been really good for a few years now. So, yeah, I think that's a um, definitely something they could look to, to move. I think Anthony Melton's another one you could throw in um, as one of those players who is really good and he's not playing a whole lot. I think on your point, Mitch, when you're trying to work around, um, like you said, Jared Jackson Jr., um, 
obviously Jar as well. Who would you who would you see, or what sort of star would you be looking for to, to throw in in and around them? Um, would you be looking for someone to play at the five, or or tie someone else in elsewhere? Ah, uh, I think uh, in an ideal world, someone like Paul George. Yeah, absolutely. You're looking for a wing. I think the idea for them, and we've seen it with them a bit this year, they want to try and close as many games as possible with Jaron Jackson at the five. Um, where they can. Obviously, Stephen Adams has been pretty good for them this year as well in patches. Um, but Jackson, obviously, relatively good defender, still a bit of a foul machine um, and needs to work on his rebounding. He's not the greatest rebounder for, for a player his size, but um, can stretch the floor and can protect the rim. So I think in an ideal world, they try and close, especially once they start playing more playoff basketball, they try and close as many games with him at the five as they can. So I think the wing, the wing where they, they look for help. Yeah, well said. So that will lead us into Tom's final hot take. Mitch is going to love this one. The Trailblazers will make the playoffs. Anyway, moving on to the Ashes. (laughs) Go on, Mitch. Oh, I'm almost fine with you to move on, Sam. I I don't want to say anything because I don't want to listen to him dribble about this. Well... This is obviously this is if you've been listening to the podcast, you know of my love for the Trailblazers. This is definitely more with my uh, my heart than it is with my head. Um, obviously, they're playing terribly. They got absolutely waxed by a Lucas Mavs team today. Um, never even in the game. Um, not just a not just a Lucas. Like they were missing a couple of other starters as well, weren't they? Yeah, yeah they were. No, they've essentially got no bigs at the moment besides Chris Jabs, Porzingis, the Mavs. I think Dwight Powell is starting for them at the moment at the five. Um, but yeah, my only my only sort of justification I can cling to for this is that we've been here before. Um, Dame has led this team to the playoffs three or four times now after being well below five hundred around the All Star break. Um, Obviously, it hasn't been pretty this year, so we'll see what happens. But that's with my heart, not with not so much with my head. Man, listeners agree. It's a, it's a pretty easy move on to there. So uh, that wraps up our NBA chat. On to the cricket. Moving on to the Ashes, we've we've seen today Australia wrap up the uh, wrap up the Boxing Day test in in less than three days. Um, we'll do a little bit of an innings by innings breakdown and and review. Um, kick it off, Mitch. What did you what did you make of the last few days of cricket? Well, uh, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it uh, it somehow got way worse. Look, Sam, I, I don't really know where to start. Now it looks like Hamid is the one who should have been dropped, and that Burns would be a better option than Hamid at the top of the order, but. Look, at this stage, we're just so much better than them over here. And no matter what they do, it's just not going to work. Um, the fact that Jack Leach wasn't even in their top three problems in this game is probably a good indicator of how bad they were. Um, but through innings by innings, Sam, we'll do, what, we'll do what you said. So pretty much starts with Cummins winning the toss, bowling, and then him just putting the nation on his back and taking the absolute mickey in that first session. I think he took three wickets by himself in that first session and from there on out just didn't look back. Um, England's batting is terrible. Um, I don't think their changes improved their batting at all. Well, actually, it probably got worse if you look by the raw numbers. But what did you make of it, Tom? What did you make of Crawley? Yeah, I mean... He played a couple of nice shots, but I think he's obviously really struggled this year. I think his average coming into this test was 11 in test cricket this year. Um, and he looked like a guy who averages 11 in test cricket in this calendar year. Um, like you said, Cummins just, he came in, he was, you know, when you when you win the toss and bowl first, there's a bit more pressure to make early inroads. And Cummins pretty much grabbed the ball and said, follow me, boys. And that's what happened. Like, he, he bowled really well. Um, and then from that, I mean, a bunch of the middle order blokes, like, yes, it was tough to bat, but a bunch of them just chucked it away. Joss Butler, like, what the fuck was that shit? Like, two, two, an over before teen is running down the wicket and trying to hit Nathan Lyon into the crowd to the biggest ground in Australia. Like, just brainless batting. There was a bunch of that. Um, 
yeah, and then obviously they were all out inside a day again. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I thought the Ben Stokes shot in the first innings wasn't yeah, much better. Another one, like, yes, to be fair, Australia bowled really well in that first session, and, and they, you know, Hamid looks a bit like a walking wicket at the moment, like, he nicked that ball on the crease. Um, but you know, after that, a bunch of those guys did just get themselves out, like either impatient or just playing terrible cricket shots. Like on a ball like that, you you just have on a wicket like that, you have to leave the ball well, and they just look like they had no idea what to leave and what to play and where they were going to score. So yeah, it was it was a really poor poor showing from them. I mean, when Johnny Bairstow comes in and, and second top scores for that first innings, um, like you said, Mitch England's got a lot bigger problems to worry about than. Um, simply Jack Leach. Um, so we'll, we'll move forward to the, obviously the Australian innings, and I think probably the biggest talking point coming out of that was, um, I'm not going to call it a revival because it's only been one innings where he scored some decent runs, but Marcus Harris, we've, uh, we've ripped him in the last couple of podcasts, but came out and, and on that wicket batted, uh, batted pretty well. Um, and and they, they said later, later in the day that 76 on that wicket was... Um, was as valuable as anything. So what did you make of that? I'll, I'll start with you, Mitch, because I'll let, I'll let Tom cool off after hearing the word Marcus Harris. Well, Tom's actually been the one who said he'd have Marcus Harris in the whole time. Tom's been the only Marcus Harris backer on the podcast. But I wouldn't call it a revival either, Sam, because he just nicked and nudged his way to 76. I, I don't think I've seen a less convincing 76 than that one. Um, obviously, they were, they were very important runs because England... They never had us on the ropes, but there was definitely a period in that middle session on day two where things were a little bit nervy for Australia. They knocked over. Obviously, so much to the Australian batting lineup uh, relies on Smith and Labashane, and they've got knocked over cheaply. Smith also played a stinker of a shot to get out, um, but he's earned the benefit of the doubt rather than those 35-a-game baiters. Um yeah, look, there wasn't much to it. Jimmy Anderson bowled really well, I thought. Um, other than that, Australia just grinded their way to a total. And I, I think it that game says more about how shit England are rather than how good Australia are. I think it showed how good the Australian bowling was, but our batting is shaky. Um and we need to do something about it, especially it's just that top order. We need to lock down a second opener. And Head, even though he played a really good knock at the Gabba and probably saved that match um, or definitely set that match up for such a dominant win, not convinced there either. So we've, we've definitely still got some, we've got some room for improvement as well, I reckon. Yeah, as Mitch said, I've obviously been, I've been the, the only Harris kind of proponent but, yeah, it was a pretty ugly 76. Um, like I kind of touched on before, he didn't look like he knew what he wanted to leave and what he wanted to play at. Um, played Mr. Bunch outside the off stump. Um, it was probably a little bit lucky in that sense, but you, you've got to take your luck when you get it um, and make the most of it. And I mean, Butler missed him on 60-odd um, stumping, you know, another mistake from him. We've become pretty accustomed to seeing that so far this series. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, 76 to 76, it wasn't pretty. Um, doesn't feel with a heap of confidence, but, you know, it's good for him going forward. Um, but, yeah, that was probably the first innings in a while for the Australians where not one batsman looked comfortable um, at any point. Um, obviously, you mentioned Mitch, Marnus Labashain and Steve Smith didn't get any. Um, but I think just in general, like, guys looked like they were prepared to bat a bit more time. Like, yes, Carey and, and Green and Head didn't get any, but... They left the ball well, um, you know, and they, they were happy to face 60 balls for their 20 or whatever. Um, so that was probably the only positive, I guess, compared to the, to the English batsmen. Um, but yet again, the bowlers chipped in and provided some really handy runs. And as they've done so many times for Australia, they really led from the front. So we led from the back, I guess. It'll be really good to see how they are sort of back up and, and head into the Sydney test. But um without further ado we'll, we'll we'll talk about the big the big name and and scotty boland um and he's finished uh, the last the last sort of hour or two on um on day two into into his spell earlier this morning and on the final day and it was it was unreal to see both the, the stats and him swinging it and bouncing it every which way but um what did you make of him and obviously him on debut 
Well, he took six for seven, Sam. I think he was pretty good. Is there anything more you want me to say about that? <laughs> uh, no. All it does is just make the selections for the fourth test harder. Um, I, I don't... England is so shit. We could have brought in anyone from Australian first-class cricket and they still would have nicked them. Like, I'm not taking anything away from bowling because he bowled the house down. But I feel like any like any first-class player of Boland's calibre would have done that. Yeah, so going into that fourth test, sometimes the temptation to pick two spinners um, happens at the SCG. So whether they want to um, blood Swepson into it, like uh, Commissioner Sh- Schmidt uh, said last week, he would blood Swepson if we got up 3-0 in the series. Um, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Say if they just go with Lyon, three quicks. Um, I mean, if Hazelwood comes back, he goes straight in, I would have thought. And we go straight back. Sorry, sorry, Scotty. Sorry, Jai. Thanks for your fifers. Now, fuck off. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like you said, I think if, if, if Hazelwood's fit, he slides straight back in because he's that, he's that calibre of player. Um, but... Yeah, it's good to know that you got guys who, like they were just they were just relentless um, line and length. They were nipping the ball around everywhere. Um, got the best out of the wicket, and yeah, the English blokes literally just rolled over. It was like they they'd given up. Once Freak got out, it was like that was it. Um, so that was pretty disappointing to see. I I couldn't believe what I was watching. <laughs> I actually like yeah, I was in a bit of a wall this morning. Like that was one of those moments. I think you just remember like. The way they just fell apart in a matter of about five overs, and they lost the the five or six wickets, whatever it was, it was just unreal. Um, but yeah, super interesting to see what they're going to do going going to Sydney. I think I almost think the way that the series has gone, like I don't even know if the, the two spinners is, is that much of a, of a factor as it is most summers. Usually, there's a bit of bit of chat, but we've barely heard anything about it so far. Obviously, we've got another another week till the the New Year's test starts. Um, on the we pit. should also say there's. A chance that they don't even go to Sydney because of this COVID situation? Well, it sounds like it's pretty well locked in given that the players have got extra or got different um, quarantine rules compared to the public. Um, but, yeah, I think you probably just go with your three quicks, whether that's Hazelwood if he's fit or, um, I mean, if he's not, it's probably Boland who gets another go. Hard luck to Jai Richardson, but it's tough to drop a bloke after a player of the match performance and, you know, a six for on debut. So, I mean... Yeah, I'm just glad I'm not I'm not the one making the call. Tom, I think despite that, and, and Mitch, you mentioned it around um, the the sudden keenness to take a second spinner into Sydney. You've seen this series with um, Ness get a crack, Richardson get a crack, Bowling get a crack. Um, now that they've locked up the series, would you, would you see it um, as probably a relatively high possibility that they roll Swepson in just to give him that test match experience, or would you not see much benefit to that? No, nah, there's definitely benefit to it because we're going to have to go to India at some point and Swepson's going to have to play. Um, there's not really anyone else coming up through unless they go with Agar again, which will be unbearable. Um, Swepson's next cab off the rank, and if you need two spinners in India, it's, I don't think you want to be debuting them in India. I'd rather, I'd rather in a dead rubber play him and just blood him. That's what I'd do. Yeah, so Australia going to Pakistan... Um, in 2022 uh, for, for a test and limited over series. So you'd have to think Swepson's going to play some kind of role in that um, in that series. And there's also an upcoming test tour next year of Sri Lanka um, and an ODI tour against Afghanistan. Um, and a test match, sorry, against um, the Afghanis as well. So that should, that should be a close one. Well, you, yeah, and then you've got India next year. So, I mean... There's a bunch of tours coming up where, you know, they're going to require a second spinner. So I think it definitely has benefit. But um, I I think, like, test cricket's test cricket. And at, at this point, you've got to pick, like, your best 11. Um, I think given the way this series has played out, probably the three quicks is the option. I think England have shown, have shown that they really struggle with with the depth of the Australian pace attack. Um, I think I think Mitch Repson, he's obviously had a rip a few years and he's going to have a have a, a pretty large role to play along with Nathan Lyon in the in the tours upcoming in the winter. So, yeah, I agree. Thoughts, 
Now on to our new segment for this week's podcast, The Rats Random Thoughts. Mitch, I'll throw it over to you to, to own this, and I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, so these are, I've got five. Three are sports ones, and then there's just two two random ones in there. So I'll start with the first one. My first thought, Dom Bradman wouldn't have been better than Steve Smith. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've got no idea. I mean, the, the have, mod- you, have you watched where I get the idea from, right? Have you watched the videos of Dom Bradman explaining how to play a leg lance? He's, no, I haven't. It looks like he, it looks like he's, he must be facing a 12 year old. He's pretty much opening his leg right up towards the square leg umpire and then flicking it down. Good luck doing that to Dale Stain. Yeah, I mean, obviously the game has come a long way and it's been monetized and, you know, it's it's fully professional now and whatnot. So obviously the standard is, is a lot higher. But, I mean, the age-old argument, I guess, is like, yes, they played on uncovered wickets. And you look at some of the body line videos and those guys still bowled pretty quick. Um, you know, there was the way those protective equipment and whatnot. So I think as much as the modern game has its challenges, I think the – the past game also had its. I wasn't alive, so I obviously can't say what, what it was like. But but the past game obviously had its own set of challenges. So um, I mean, the Don is the Don. He's the greatest cricketer to ever play the game. So I think he would have found a way to, to be just as good, or maybe not just as good, but to be the best. Yeah, I really haven't got much more to add. It, it's pretty difficult to differentiate differentiate or or compare the two, but um, we, we can all see that Steve Smith's the best batsman in the world over the last decade and. And Bradman certainly had his time and would have loved to have seen him average over 100. But um, to average 99.94, 96, whatever it was, um, is, uh, is something... No one Australian are you. Yeah, it's 99.94 and everyone knows that. Go on, then. Anyway, Brandy, you mentioned that the Dom was the greatest of all time. Well, is Tom Brady the goat of all goats? Now, I've got his resume here. Seven Super Bowls. Five Super Bowl MVPs, five MVPs, and he obviously won a Super Bowl last year at 43 years old, and he's not looking too shabby this year either. Thoughts? I know you guys aren't massive NFL fans. I suppose your honourable mentions are obviously uh, Don Brabham, um, apparently Wayne Gretzky, but yeah, you'll have to – we'll just let that one go through because I'm assuming none of us cover NHL. LeBron or Jordan, whichever way the fence you fall there, and that's probably about it. Yeah, I think that's probably like, as you mentioned. I'm not, like, I'm not. I don't know everything about every sport. I don't know everything about any sport, but I think that's probably a pretty fair. Um, like I think when it comes to goats, like the the two like really overriding factors that have to be present is success and like longevity. And I think he's like he has really dominated the NFL, and he's done it for longer than we've ever seen anyone dominate you know, that kind of contact sport. Um, obviously, quarterbacks don't get as much pressure and they don't, you know, you know they don't cause as many knocks as, as other guys on the field. But, yeah, I mean, he wins. He wins all the time and he's won for, for years in a row now. And, like, even someone like Jordan, like, he won, but his, his career was only, I think it was, like, 14 years long or 13 years long. Obviously, he retired a couple of times. Um LeBron is the same thing. Like he, he's he's won, um, and he's done it for a long time. But I think when it comes to both of those factors, Brady's done both better. He's he's been around for longer and he's won more, um, which is crazy to say because LeBron and, and Jordan both won heaps. Um, yeah, I think that's that's, a, that's probably a fair a fair statement. I think I'm gonna go completely nowhere near any of the names that you just mentioned and say Tiger Woods. Um, We've all seen what he's done with golf. Uh, PGA Player of the Year 11 times, PGA Tour Player of the Year 11 times, PGA Tour Money Leader 10 times, Barton Trophy winner 9 times. He's won five Masters. Um, he had a he had a back injury, spent two, three years away from the game, comes back and wins another Masters. Um, he's my goat. Absolutely. Is he the goat of golf? I'd say yes, yes. I it's, which is a really big call. Yeah. I'd say yes. 
That's what I'm gonna like. That would be my argument to that widow is that it's not even it's not, like it's a contentious statement to even say that he is the goat of golf. Like Tom Brady's just the goat of the NFL, and there's no. Well, I suppose the basketball is the same then, because like I mean, personally, I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to have ever played. But you can talk to people, and you can talk. Some people might say LeBron. There might be even some people who say someone like Kobe Bryant or something, depending on what they. What they, you know, what they like or whatever. I, I think you're right um, with Tom Brady. He's definitely... Yeah, he's unrivaled. He's unrivaled when it comes to, um, like, NFL goats. I think he's he's pretty universally accepted as being the NFL goat. But I think the consistency is both between, I mean, for me, Tiger and, um, and Brady is that they've both done it over, like, such a long period. Um, and I mean, given you mentioned um, LeBron and, and Jordan, they've done the same thing. But um, and it's probably me being a little bit naive to a little bit of NFL and, and NBA. But um, yeah, it's Tiger for mine. Good stuff. This is what this segment's for. You know, a bit of discussion. Uh, the 2018 Warriors beat the 1995 Chicago Bulls. I mean, I don't care. The, obviously, you always use the what rules are we playing? Are we playing? It doesn't give. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it's just like really hard to, because like basketball is a genuinely different game now to what it was. Back yeah, the players are faster, more skillful. And like, if you played now, like in the modern league, the Bulls wouldn't be like the rules would almost play the Bulls. Like, I wouldn't play me out of it, but like they would get away with any like nowhere near as much as like. That's fine. We'll play nineties rules. It doesn't matter. Oh, but that's the thing. Like you can't. Like we've never seen. We've never seen the Warriors play in the nineties. We've never seen the Bulls play in the two thousand and tens. Like you just can't make a judgment. I think they're two of the greatest teams to ever play basketball, and I think people should just appreciate them for what they are. Um, they both like. One's got you know Stephen Curry, who is the greatest, as we discussed the other week, the greatest shooter to ever play basketball. One's got Michael Jordan, who's the greatest player to ever play basketball. You know they've got so many other good players who are awesome to watch. Um, and they've both given us so much like entertainment, and like they're, they're still even the Warriors now. Like they, they, you could argue they're on the way down, but they're still so much fun to watch. Like I, I think it's so hard to make that comparison. Um, so yeah, I haven't really got an answer for that one. Yeah, look, I'm not going to sit on the fence um, and say that the the Warriors all, all beaten. Um, just go off the off the development of the game and the. As you said, you touched on earlier in the podcast, um, how important it is to, to be good around the perimeter. Um, and the Warriors have that. And 95, 96 balls don't have that as much as as much as the Warriors do now. All right. I said I had five at the start of the segment. I'm going to take one off. But this is one that really concerned me around Christmas period. This has got nothing to do with sport. Eating the poo strip on prawns. Now, I've... Got to be honest, I've always been, you know, you do the shell, you take the take the legs off, tail, head, and you always pull that strip out. Always. There's too many members of my family who just, ah, why pull the string out? I'm going straight in for the whole thing. I, <laughs> I just want to get your thoughts on it because am I, is it just one extra step that's unnecessary in the prawn peeling, in the prawn peeling process? <laughs> I mean, if I see it, I'll pull it out, but I'm not, like, I don't know. I, you know it's there, though. I'm not peeling, I'm not, like, looking inside the prawn for all the bits. Have I got all this bit out? Like, a, yeah. a, if there's a bit of shell in there, I'll just spit it out while I'm eating it, like. I'm not talking about the shell. I'm, you know that, do you know the poo strip I'm talking about, Tom? Yeah, if I see it, I'll pull it out, but, like, if I don't see it, I'm probably just, I don't know. Oh. Like water you know, I don't think, Tom, I don't think you eat enough prawns. Um, you see it. You take it off every single day of the week. Thanks, Sam, because I, I thought I was going crazy with the amount of people in my family that were just going... They were just dipping and chewing with that with disregard. Yeah. Can't say yeah. I probably wouldn't even touch that sauce for the rest of the, uh, rest of the Christmas day. Anyway, moving yeah, on. Uh, we've, got, we've got plenty of time, Mitch. Bring up your fifth one. I'm interested... <laughs> uh, the fifth one was that Star Wars is better than Harry Potter. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. 
I am a huge Star Wars fan. Sam? I'm not going to comment. I, I'm one of those ones that hasn't seen all of either. Either? <laughs> Never. Yeah, neither. Not seen all of either. I actually really like Harry Potter too, to be fair, but Star Wars is like my all-time favourite movie series. So. You haven't seen either, Sam? I've seen, like, I've seen dribs and drabs of it, but never watched, gone, sat down and, and watched all of them back to back to back or all of them entirely over the duration of my life. Yeah, right. But I bet you've Nor- watched all of the uh, 21 jumps or the, the jump streets. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're a great franchise. See, that's what this that's what this segment is here for, is to indicate what kind of blokes we have here. And that's a perfect <laughs> indicator of the kind of bloke you are, Sam. So we'll move on from there. All right, so like Sam said earlier, there'll be no tips for this weekend as we've had to record this one a little bit early just with the timing of New Year's. Um, so we're going to just do a recap of last weekend. And I I haven't looked, Sam, but how did we go on the weekend, mate? It was a good week or? Unfortunately, after a pretty successful week last week, we uh, we dropped back to earth on the weekend, both myself and Primo. Um, Witty had a weekend off. Um, not sure what he was doing, but we, we both struggled. We both went 0-3, which is disappointing and um, certainly disappointing for the punters. Um, but as always, we we own our losses um, here at Punting.Fantasy and, and we'll work to, to provide the boys or boys and girls who follow the uh, follow the page some, some winners next week. Um, keep an eye on the Punting.Fantasy Instagram page for those tips. I won't be able to announce any tonight, just um, with, again, as Mitch said, the, the timing of the podcast, but Kicking off with my best for the weekend was Ramit Race 5, number one, Zagallo, paying 550. Um, not a whole lot to say about this one. Unfortunately, it was just a good thing beat. Um, it was the, clearly the class horse in the race and unfortunately just had no luck in the running. Um, got shuffled back probably midway through the race and before putting on a pretty strong finish, um, ended up finishing third, which if you hadn't gotten on nice and early, you would have found a $2 quote for a place. So... Certainly not something to be disappointed about there, but um, I'll definitely be backing this guy again, especially if he sticks around the same grade because um, he's, he's a really promising one and, and I'm really keen to, to see how he goes for the rest of this prep. Your second one, Sam, was uh, Dooman Race 8, number one, Bo Rossa. Yeah, it quickly became my favourite horse through, um, through the spring. Uh, I was excited to see how he'd go come up in Queensland, coming off a strong trial in down in Sydney. But um, we're not we're not we're no we're not surprised that J Mac um, all of a sudden's come up and and ridden home a few winners up here in Queensland. And unfortunately, that was in in the race and also the race that Tom backed his little dollar collector. So J Mac took out both of those, which was disappointing. But um, I wasn't disappointed with with Bo Ross's run. Um, returned pretty well, like I said before, after a pretty solid trial, but. Probably looked in need of, of this run. Um, finished one 1.75 length fourth, which is not something to be disappointed about by any stretch, but probably just got um, got upset by that early speed and, and strong tempo set by Zoostar, the favourite who who faded late and I think finished fifth or sixth. Um, so Bo Ross spent a few tickets a little bit early and um, unfortunately just just couldn't get that turn of foot, which we've um, which we've come to see in, in recent races. Yeah, and your third and last one, Sam, was Caulfield Race 6, number 13, The Awesome Sun. Yeah, this one was always going to be tough to find a winner, but um, was pretty confident in this guy. You have a look at the results, and, and he finished eight, but there was eight horses across the line for this one. Um, all eight of them finished within a length of the winner. So it was a really actually interesting race to watch and, and a good one to watch. Um, this guy sat off him quite a bit early and gave him a real pretty decent head start, uh, which probably ended up being too much of a start. Uh, had the quickest mid and late sectionals, so like the timings were there, um, stepped up in a grade, and, and to have the quickest mid and late sectionals in upper class um, and still finish within a length of, of first is, is really impressive. So make sure you stick with this guy. Um, unfortunately, just had to travel a fair bit of distance around the turn and, and had a similar run to the eventual winner, um, but unfortunately it was just too good. And, and like I said, it was a, was a really good race to watch um, given given the tight finish. But 
Unfortunately, we couldn't we could find a winner on the weekend, but um, hopefully we can uh, make amends on New Year's Day this Saturday with, with a nice day of racing, I believe, um, at Caulfield in Melbourne and ran, back at Randwick in, in Sydney, but could be wrong. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, hopefully we uh, get back on the horse and get going again because we did have a good week a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, yeah, didn't get the bickies on the weekend. But we did have... Oh, we nearly had a slice of history on the weekend with the first dollar collector to get up, but it was spoiled, Brandy. Talk to me about uh, Doom and Race 5, number 12, Boom Nova. Yeah, so back on the podcast last week, said that it was a bit of a uh, bit more of a heart pick, um, not quite as heavily researched, but it was 9.50 and 3.10 at that time. Um, and, yeah, it came second by not much. <laughs> um Really ran a really good race. Um, looked like it was going to get the job done coming around the straight. Um, but as Sam mentioned, J-Mac just, just too good. Um, and so, yeah, lost by, by a nose um, for a third consecutive second. Um, so we've been, we've been backing some good horses. Um, they just haven't quite been able to get the job done just yet. So hopefully um, we can get one on the board soon. But... If you get them, if you get them at three, you get a second at three, three dollars or three fifty. You know that's still a, a pretty solid um return for your efforts. So, yeah, three seconds in a row is good, but yeah, hopefully we can go one better uh, as soon as possible. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom. You're currently going at seventy five percent play strike rate, which is absolutely outstanding given that uh, the three ones that you did to were all paying over three bucks for the place at the time. Is that correct? Yeah, we've got one fifth and three seconds so far since we started doing this segment. So he's running hot. Make sure you don't jump off uh, because he is finding us some value on the weekends. And I'm really looking forward to this weekend as well. And I don't want to speak for the admin of the Instagram page, but like with Sam not having any tips this week, we don't have a dollar collector for you right now, but I'm sure we'll be able to get one up on punting.fantasy on Instagram. Yeah, your dollar collector because that's what we all aim to do and hopefully we can go one better this weekend. Now, nah, well summed up. I'm really looking forward to, to the rest of this week. Um, that wraps up the eighth podcast of the, the Punting.Fantasy podcast. Thanks to, on behalf of Mitch and Tom and myself. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a good new year. Um, enjoy whatever you're doing. Make sure you have a few beers um, and wake up nice and early on Saturday to, to watch the races. Through, um, we'll have a few winners for you on the Instagram page uh, this Saturday. So thank you and good night.